it's nice when we take a familiar hymn and maybe sing it to different tombs so we can uh, maybe think about the words more, right? Think about the words more. Our scripture reading today is from John's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the New Testament, the fourth gospel, chapter 13. I, um, this sermon might be more appropriate two weeks ago. Not that it's a, a Palm Sunday message, but it's a Holy Week message. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem to the cheers of the people. Monday, he went to the temple. He cleansed it. By the way, that was the second time he did it. In John's Gospel, chapter 2, he did it at the start of his ministry. It didn't make him any friends, did it, with the religious authorities. Tuesday, he went back. He got into discussions, or should I say attacks, by the religious leaders, the political leaders. They didn't like Jesus. Wednesday, Judas agreed to betray Jesus. And then on Thursday, some call it Monday Thursday, is... Um, the Last Supper, the Last Supper, Jesus gathered together with the twelve in that upper, upper room. And afterwards, they would go out to Gethsemane, then he would be arrested. So this is, this is that night, Thursday night of Holy Week. Of course, Friday would have been Good Friday. He's just washed their feet. They have yet to celebrate Holy Communion. So in John 13, Jesus is giving his His last instructions, right? His last words. Soon he'll be taken from them. So in verse 18, he says this. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. It's usually our purpose when we stand up here and preach, when, when pastor stands up here, when I stand up here. We want to we tell you things from God's word that you ought to know, right? What you ought to know. And we preachers like to talk about what we know and what this 
Greek word means and the history and how you can apply this to your lives. But this morning, I'm going to tell you some things that, that I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And I'm glad I don't know it. Once there was a question and answer session taking place involving a, a very learned Bible teacher. And he was asked a, a very complicated question. And his answer was this. He said, the answer to that is very simple. I don't know. So many times we put pressure on ourselves to have an answer for everything. And we worry people might ask us a question that we don't have an answer to. And we think that makes us maybe a a bad Christian or something. But, you know, we should feel free to say, I don't know. But maybe I'll I'll look and find the answer. And throughout my life, I've, uh, I've had a lot of questions answered from my studies or from listening to others. Not just, you know, Bible teachers, but everyday people who have insight into things. But there's a lot of things I'm never going to know. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, there's an interesting verse that relates to this. It goes this way, right? The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Wow. Now, my responsibility as a Bible teacher is to teach half of that, right? In other words, through presenting the whole counsel of God, I'm to teach you the things that have been revealed to us through God's word. But there are other things, the other half of the verse, things that only God knows. And the reason for this is they belong to God. He's not revealed them to us. Many times in my life, I've heard someone say something like this. Well, we don't know why it happened, but when we get to heaven, we will. And um, I question that because only God is omniscient. But I don't say anything because I don't want them to think I'm a know-it-all. And as I was reading through this chapter in the Gospel of John, I thought there's a lot of things that Jesus knows, but he's not telling. And a lot of things that I don't know. And I'm glad they're unknown. I want to check them out. I want to look at them. First, I'm glad I don't know those whom Jesus has chosen. Verse 18, Jesus says, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen chosen. Let me tell you something you ought to know about God. He is a willing, choosing God with a purpose. God has a plan. God has a plan, and he's working that plan. And he's chosen us to follow him. He has. When you come to him, when you came to him, you thought you were doing the choosing, but in reality, God had chosen you. And the Lord was saying, I've been expecting you. And not only that, I've been expecting you from the beginning. That's biblical doctrine. I don't understand it completely because I'm not God, but it's, it's taught. And I don't know the, the ones he's chosen, but it's taught. I don't understand how God can do that without interfering with our freedom, right? Because we have to hear the word and then we can respond to it. That's why we have missionaries that go around the world. And the Bible presents our, our freedom in choosing God and his choosing us. And we get hung up on it. We say, well, 
It's oil and water, right? They can't mix, but the Bible teaches both. So why does the Bible tell us this? So when we know him, we can understand something else. That he loved us before the foundation of the earth. 2 Timothy 1.9 He, God, has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Wow. All right, what should I do with my life? A holy life. My wife Sandra and I have four children. We loved them before they were born. That sounds strange, but if you're a parent, you can relate to that, right? You know what that means. With God, it's even more amazing. He was there in the beginning, before the beginning, in eternity past, and we were a part of his plan. And when you grew up, no matter how bad your background was, he understood that. He loves you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing can break that relationship. Remember in the old days, the good old days, when older trucks and cars, especially trucks, had one seat that went across the front? How many had a truck like that? Right? Yeah, quite a few. Well, there was a husband and wife going down the road, and the the husband driving, and the, the wife's over by the door, and she looked over at him and said, Honey, remember when, when we first got married and we, we sat next to one another? And now, now we're apart. And the husband said, I ain't gone anywhere. I ain't gone anywhere. The Bible teaches us nothing can separate us from God's love. But we can make choices that move us in the wrong direction. Not a holy life. And then we wonder where God has gone. God choosing us in Jesus Christ, it, it's, a, it's a family secret. It's precious. It's precious. It's, it's hard to understand sometimes. But it comes to us in the scriptures to know that God loves us and to bring us comfort. That we are his people. Now, if you're like me, you start to wonder at some point, did, did God choose me? Right? Am I one of those people? You reckon I'm chosen? And the truth is, we don't know, but God knows. He does. And if we seek to live for Jesus Christ, if we are a part of his church, what do you think the answer is going to be? We don't have to be perfect to be in his family because we're all on a journey and our life's not over. God's not finished with any of us yet. So let's keep moving on. Let's keep moving on. Second, I'm glad I don't know the future. Look again at chapter 13, verse 19. Jesus says here, I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am He. I don't know the future. You see what Jesus is doing here? He knows that soon the disciples are going to find out one of them is a traitor. Yeah, Judas. We know that story. Judas is going to turn on him. And Jesus tells them ahead of time, it's going to happen. He tells them ahead of time. And it's important. Because he doesn't want them to start, start thinking something like this. You know, 
Jesus chose us, right? He called us to be his, his closest friends, his followers, 12 of us. And one turned out to be a traitor. Jesus messed up, right? He messed up. So maybe he's not who he said he is. Maybe he's not who we think he is. Yeah. What is Jesus doing here is telling them, I want you to know I know what's going to happen, right? I know. I'm warning you ahead of time. And the point is Jesus knows. He's God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. That's good theology. The second point is we don't know. Remember Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Ah, so that we may follow all the words of this law. Sometimes people come to me as if I have a hotline to God. They'll say, well, if I'm faithful to Christ, will I be okay? Right? Will my family be safe? Or are we going to make it through what's going on around us? Will, you know, do I have to have an operation? What's, what's going to happen next, Joe? And I don't know. If I knew the future... I tell some of my friends we could make a few investments <laughs> and we'd be off. Yeah, I'd take care of things. But I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't have a clue. But I tell you something I do know. I know him and he knows me. And I know he has a plan and he's in control. He doesn't make mistakes and we can trust him. Even though Judas did what he did, Jesus wanted them to know. And I don't know the future. I don't know the future. I like to be in control. Okay, I like to be in control of things. I like to work things so they're going to come out my way. But this keeps me obedient, and I have to trust him, not only for myself, but especially for my family. And I have to rely on him to take care of me and my family. I came across a poem that considers Mary on the night Jesus was born. It goes this way. Mary, blessed among women, communer with angels, fit vessel to house his son. On that night long ago, did you see grasping fingers or scarred nail print palms, little forehead wrinkles or thorn prints? Did you touch wrapping swaddling garments or grave clothes? Did you hear singing angel voices or scoffs and taunts? What did Mary see? She saw the little hands, the little baby fingers. She didn't know the future. Because it's not given us to know, and I'm glad. Third, I'm glad I don't know what another person is thinking. What goes through your heart and mind, right? What you're thinking. In verse 21, Jesus told the group of 12, one of them would betray him. In verse 22, then, he says this, or it says this. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. They all started looking at one another. Who is it? Wow. Judas was the perfect con man. He was in the inner circle of the disciples. He was. He had been called by Jesus. He was entrusted with the money. He was the treasurer for the group. But even then, he, he was dishonest. 
He took what he wanted. And Jesus never said anything. And nobody knew. None of the others. Only Jesus. Don't read as much as I used to, but growing up, I loved, loved to read. And I especially like science fiction. Yeah, I was a sci-fi guy. And a lot of the stories involved people with, with strange abilities or powers, and I thought the coolest thing would be reading minds, right? If you could read someone's mind. And as a kid, I thought, this is great. I'm a good student, but if I didn't know the answer to a test, I could go up and ask the teacher a question. They would think the answer, and I could write it down. And then there were game shows, one called Jeopardy. <laughs> Man, I could clean up there. Million dollars, easy. The Bible is clear that Jesus knows what we're thinking. It's found in the Gospels. One example, Luke 5.22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? But would you really want to know what other people are thinking? Truly, truly how terrible it would be to know that. How horrible to know who the hypocrites are. Oh, how horrible to know what others are thinking. I don't like it, but I've been conned in my life. Well, I was almost conned. Years ago, when we moved from St. Ignace to Gaylord, we, I was looking for another car, a used car to buy. And uh, so I went about half an hour away. I drove to the guy's house. He and his brother were out there. They turned the odometer back. That's pretty illegal, isn't it? They turned the odometer back. I didn't know it, of course. And these two guys were talking to me, and they're acting a little strange, a little goofy. And I knew something was up when they asked what I did for a living. I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor in a church. And then they said their uncle, this was their uncle's car, he drove it to church every Sunday. Who tells you something like that? It was just goofy. So I, I put down a down deposit, right, a down payment. They said it wasn't ready yet. Yeah, they weren't done putting the car back together after changing the odometer. And I was able to, to contact the owner they got it from. And I asked the guy if he was their uncle and other things, right? He started laughing on the phone. <laughs> he just started laughing. So I drove back to pick up the car. I got my check back. I asked for it right away. They said, I'm not going to buy the car. And they were upset. And they, were, they had this charade going, this con going, saying, you know, the car just, just needed a part and it would be fine. And then later that evening, this, this is scary, they drove to my house with the car on a trailer saying they went to the auto parts store and got the part. That was a little scary. And they weren't happy with me, but they didn't push me because they knew that I knew. They knew that I knew. Our thoughts are between us and God. Our thoughts are between us and God. And it's right we keep them to ourselves because that's, you know, that we don't know other people's thoughts. 
because that's business which we have between each one of us and God. And, and I have no right to judge you for your thoughts. That's a good thing, right? Our thoughts are personal and private. But we have to remember God's not finished. God's not finished. He's working. The door's always open. And he's working in our lives. And I have no right to judge another person. I don't have the right to judge anything you're thinking. And the instant I, I think I'm good enough, right, to, to do something like that, then God will do business with me. He'll take care of me for my thoughts. He's the one we have to answer to in our lives, not only for what we do, but, but what we think. Fourth, I'm glad I don't know the, the depth of my own sin. I don't know how bad my sin is. And I'm not talking about it in the past, but, but even today. Now, to get a, a complete picture of what's happening, I want to go to another gospel, right? All four gospels talk about this night, this evening. So Matthew 26, Matthew tells us this. He says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, One after the other, Surely not I, Lord. I I don't like to guess people's ages. Some of you may have lived through this, though. Back in World War II, there was rationing. Right, You couldn't just go to the grocery store, but the, the war effort was so total that everyday staples, everyday items like sugar and, and tires, right? tires take rubber and flour and wheat and coffee and gasoline, everything was rationed. And so you got a coupon book of how much you could, you could get from you know, the business, the store or the, the gas station. And I heard the story of a man who ran a grocery store during the Second World War just before the president was going to announce that rationing was going to, to go into effect, right? It was going to start. Now, everyone knew about it. It wasn't, it wasn't a secret, but it wasn't yet the law. And an elderly lady came into a store. She got her cart, and she started loading it up, sugar and flour and all the things that were on the list. It wasn't the law yet. And she brought it to the front. And he said, Madam, I can't let you take those things. And she said with the sweetest smile, I just wanted to get here before all the hoarders did. We rarely realize how bad we really are. It's a good thing when Jesus, Jesus announced one of them was going to betray him. They didn't start accusing one another. That, that's cool. That's good. Peter didn't say, it can't be me. No way it's got to be me. I, I love Jesus. And John didn't say, well, it's got to be Peter. He's always doing dumb things, like the time he got out of the boat and tried to walk on the water. Yeah. And Peter wasn't thinking, you know, it's got to be Thomas. He doubts Jesus all the time. Doubting Thomas. <laughs> But instead, what do they say? They're saying, it, it could be me. It could be me. And so they're asking Jesus, surely not I, Lord. Is it me? Is it going to be me? If someone walked up to you, if someone walked up to me and said, you do something evil, something despicable, terrible, what would you say? You'd say, no way, no way. 
I'm, I'm not that kind of person. I'm, I'm too good for that, right? My, my parents raised me well. They, I've, I, I go to church. I'm a, I try to treat others with respect and get along with people. But if Jesus were here right now and he said, someone in this room were going to do something truly despicable, we would probably become defensive and say, no way. Or would we be like the disciples in the upper room and say, is it me, Lord? Is it me? Am I the one? Before television, there was this miraculous device called the radio. (laughs) And there were shows on it, right? The radio shows. There was one called The Shadow. He was a crime-fighting good guy, vigilante, The Shadow. You remember the tagline? Well, I'm going back years, aren't I? (laughs) I? I love my history. I love history. The tagline for The Shadow, it goes like this. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. Yeah, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men and women? The shadow knows. Jesus does too. We shouldn't presume our own goodness. But we need to cling to Jesus like a drowning person to a life preserver to stay afloat. We need to cling to Jesus. Fifth, I'm glad I don't know what the Father is doing with other people. Back in in John 13, verses 27 and 28. These are hard verses. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said said this to him. If you've ever seen Da Vinci's The Last Supper, right? Um, It's kind of a recreation they sat at the table. Jesus was, was the host. He set all this up. So he's at the place of honor, in, in a sense. But also the places of honor were to his right and to his left. Right? Now, that's not act, accurate. They didn't sit in chairs around the table like that. There's a, there's a better picture now. They sat on the floor. And they, they leaned on pillows or reclined in some way. I'm Glad we don't do that. I'd be hard on my knees. <laughs> and there were two places of honor, right, on either side of Jesus. And you could, you know, you could talk across the table and people would hear that, or you could lean against the person next to you and say something quietly, and only they would hear it. And so John was on the right side of Jesus, eating. John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple, that's, what a description. He could whisper in Jesus' ear. And if we read this carefully, maybe pull in some of the other Gospels, who's, who's on the other side? You ever thought of that? It's Judas. It's Judas. And I can see Jesus going to Judas before the dinner and saying, Judas, sit with me. Sit with me tonight. Sit next to me on this side. Yeah. Couldn't be an accident. He was there, right? Couldn't have been an accident. And if John could, could lean back against Jesus and say something to him, and Jesus could, could do that to Judas, he could whisper in his ear. Now, when Jesus says that one of you will betray me, 
Peter asked John to ask Jesus who it is. Peter's kind of headstrong, right? We, we know who Peter is. He's a good guy, though. And we're told that John leaned back against Jesus, and he asked him, who is it? And that, that's the normal question. And Jesus answered John's question by doing something that sounds awfully strange to us. Back then, when, when the host wanted to honor a guest or someone, he would take a piece of bread or meat and dip it in the main dish, and then he would, he would give it to the person. It was a custom of the time. Everyone would recognize it. And who was it that Jesus gave the piece of bread to? It was Judas. I think, I struggled with this for years as a young Christian. I thought, what was going on here? Because this was Jesus' way to tell John who the betrayer is going to be, right? John knew then. But I don't think Peter found out. Because what do you think that group would have done if they knew Judas was going to leave and betray Jesus? Yeah. In Luke's gospel, we find out they had two swords. Some of you might remember that little story, right? They say, Lord, here's two swords. They're thinking they might have to fight. And what happened in the garden when the mob came to arrest Jesus? Peter got one of those, didn't he? And he started swinging it around, and he cut off a guy's ear. I always think it's, it's a good thing Peter was a fisherman and not a swordsman, because who aims for the ear? Yeah, right? And what did Jesus do? He picked up the ear and healed the man. He put it back. I want to meet that guy in heaven. I'm, I'm pretty sure that guy's in heaven. <laughs> Everyone around the table thought Jesus is honoring Judas. But what was Jesus saying to Judas? I think he's reaching out to Judas in love, in kindness. And I think in some way he's saying, Judas, don't do it. It's not too late. And I, I know things are set in motion, and I know what the scriptures say. But I, I, I think in some way, again, because of our God gives us the ability to choose that that Jesus was reaching out in an act of kindness and love to Judas. What an appeal. And it's, it was going to be his last chance because Judas didn't change and the devil moved in. These are hard verses. And so I'm constantly amazed at the way in, in secret God deals with us, with people. This morning... The Father's working now. Maybe there's someone who's struggling with addictions. And we keep addiction secret, don't we? But God knows. And he wants us to change. He wants us to come away from those because they're hurting us. There might be a young person God is working on because the, the course of their life isn't what it should be. God wants you to change. Someone's worried about relationships. Maybe God wants to meet with you because of what's been going on this past year across the country and the world. Yeah, it's hard. And there's so much anxiety, and it's, it just wears you down. It can wear you down, right? 
When we need to meet with the Lord before it burns a hole in our heart, God is working in our hearts. He wants us to be whole, but often we cannot see that. So we need to meet with the Lord and let him do, do his thing. Talk, talk to pastor, talk to church leaders, talk to someone. But don't keep it to yourself. Let God do his thing. And then finally, I'm glad. I don't know the blackness of a night without Jesus. The last words. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Now, why does John tell us it was night? Does, does that matter? Is he like adding words? Remember when you had to do papers or your kids had to do papers that were 200 words? And it came to 198, and so you wrote the end. Good, I'm not the only one. And I think the words chosen here are not an accident. In the very beginning in chapter 1, it says this about Jesus. In him was life and This life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In chapter 8, Jesus said about himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in chapter 9, he says, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The Gospels, they're not only inspired Scripture, right? But they're very well written. And in John's Gospel, we see certain themes like we do in the others. And John has used these themes. Light and darkness, day and night, good and evil. He's telling us something. Do you remember, I told you I'm a sci-fi guy. Remember the very first Star Wars movie when that came out? It's 1997. I was 17 years old. You can do the math. (laughs) And at the very beginning, there was a battle, right, with these two sides. There was a battle on the spaceship. And one side is dressed in civilian-type clothing, but it was dark colors, gray and and black. And I was trying to figure out who the bad guys are and who's the good guys. Who should I be rooting for here? What's going on? And and the other side, the the stormtroopers were dressed in white. We didn't know who they were then. But they were dressed all in white, white body armor. And then Darth Vader comes in, dressed all in black, and you knew who the bad guys were. There was no doubt these were the bad guys. In the same way, John is sending us a message. He wants us to know that Judas goes out into the night, dark, frightening, empty, night. Most of us have no clue what total darkness is like, right? We go out on the nighttime, midnight, or late at night, whatever, and, you know, there might be stars, might be city lights from summer, whatever. We think that's dark. Uh, One summer, loved the summer vacation trips with the family. We went down to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. We took the underground tour. That is a lot of fun, The best part was when the guide turned off all the lights, pitch black. You you couldn't see your hand, right, an inch in front of your face. There's no light. He had a flashlight, but what if the lights didn't come back on? What if we didn't have any light? We were lost. We would never have gotten out. You didn't dare move. Without the light, you're trapped. 
You're no, no hope of finding your way out. Jesus is the light of the world. We carry his light within us. Think of the song, This Little Light of Mine. I'll try to sing it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. There's more truth in that song than we realize. It's not just for kids. We're the church of the light. We're planted in the middle of the darkness. It's a dark world. Judas did not understand this. He turned away from Christ. He walked out into a darkness that's unimaginable. It was a life without Jesus. I don't know what that's like. I don't want to either. We need to flee from the darkness and be in the light. Well, when I list the things I don't know, it's, it might worry you. I hope I get asked to come back here again. But I'm not worried because these are things I don't know. I, I can't know, right? They belong to the Lord our God. I'm responsible for what's been revealed. Just taking one of these. I don't know what Christ is doing here this morning. He's, he's reaching out to us, though, isn't he? He's reaching out in love. Judas has sometimes been described as the man who might have been. One time back in the Depression, a a wino came up. He began bugging a guy for a nickel, a dime. That meant a lot back then, didn't it? He said, buddy, can can I get some change for a cup of coffee? And the guy just walked on by, and he, but he stayed after him, and he, finally he pushed him a little bit, and the wino persisted, and persisted, and the guy got mad. He lost his temper, and he pushed him, and he, he fell down, and the wino looked up at him and said, Mister, you should have seen the man I might have been. The person I might have been. Let's not make that mistake. Boy, there's so many things we don't know, but God knows. Jesus knows. In our uncertain world, in our uncertain lives, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. I'm grateful for the one I can trust and who knows and who loves me and who will be with me. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you sent your son, Jesus Christ. He came to this world. He was the light in the darkness. The darkness will never overpower the light. And we pray in our lives that we would let our light, our light shine before others, that they would see us, see our good deeds, see our life, the testimony of our lives. And praise our Father in heaven. Lord, we we know enough. We know enough. We just need to act on it. We need to move ahead as your people. So we just pray for the courage to do so, the wisdom to make godly choices, and patience. 
We ask this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.